The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our online listeners, our podcast listeners, and I want to thank those who registered this past week uh, through our email service or whatever way that you were referred to our podcast. It is exciting to see that there are more and more countries and there are more and more people that are really interested in understanding the difference between Christianity and indwelt Christianity. But I want to ask uh, our local group here, what you remember is the difference between being a Christian and being an indwelt Christian. Does anyone want to answer that for us? Molly? Yeah, just Holy Spirit inside of you. Okay, so what is a Christian then? Because there's a lot of listeners right now that would classify themselves a Christian. They wouldn't use the term indwelt Christian, and they would believe that they're going to heaven. A follower of Christ. So being Christian is a follower of Christ, and being indwelt is what you just said, and that is being filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Which is real salvation? Is it both? Okay, that's the evidence of true salvation is the indwelling life of Jesus Christ lives inside you. Okay, now's the time I got to get that number out and that's 602-292-2982 because right now if you're listening and you go, now wait a minute, I've called myself a Christian for 30 years and you're trying to tell me I might not get into heaven if I don't have the inward dwelling life of Jesus Christ? The answer to that question is, yes, you will go to hell. The proof of purchase by the life of Christ is his life inside you. So now as we launch our message today, this is universalism. We're still under our series of definition of terms of the exchange life. This is many series we are doing within that category on universalism. Last week we did Universalism 1, and so if you are new to our podcast, hey, I would back up a little bit, find another hour in your, in your schedule, and listen to Universalism 1, because they do go hand in hand. When we do Universalism 3, which is going to be the fallacies of universalism, you will need the past two messages to understand what we are going to talk about. It is extremely offensive when we talk about the fallacies of universalism. We are literally going to pin down groups. But see, the true love of God we determined earlier when we read our scriptures was what? What's the proof of having the true love of God obeying his commandments so you can argue about the social issues of our time and you're not going to go anywhere I mean what's the use of debating someone with a social issue or a critical issue with the church if you're just going to improve their thought life and still encourage them to go to hell that's ridiculous 
The enemy's tactic to keep people from leading people to salvation is through cultural issues. So it's not whether the gay rights people are right or wrong or indifferent. It is do they keep the commandments of God. That's the proof of real love. Now I'm going to show you some very disturbing principles this morning of what the universalists believe about love. Some of you, it is going to be a shock. Some of you, it's not. Because you've been staying up on the cultural issues of this love, 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 don't judge me church that's going on. Last week's video with the testimony of the pastor and some of the people attending her church is a setup for today. I am going to reveal to you a global group that has hundreds of thousands of people as members. And it's going to sound as beautiful and as perfect as you possibly could make it. But every one of them are going to hell unless they have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I know there are people who have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ in them that are in this, this club. And if you're one of those listeners, please listen very carefully because you need to get out of it as soon as you can. And this message today is going to basically explain to you why you need to get out of it now. But let's take a look at a couple of the details before I show you the video. You and I have to determine, are we a universalist? As an indwelt Christian, you can be a universalist. It's really stretching it. But I can't judge everyone who carries the banner, the torch of universalism. There is a logo that they use. It's going to be revealed to you in the video. And this logo is a torch on the inside of a circle. The torch comes from the Greek. The Olympic torch was literally put into the Olympics to communicate this message I'm giving you this morning. All nations, all people, all races under one torch. And there's something interesting about universalism and the mother torch. The Statue of Liberty is oftentimes referred to as our national symbol of freedom. Correct? Online you can do this. I've actually seen the plaque. If you look up Statue of Liberty and put Mason, Statue of Liberty, Mason plaque, it'll show you the plaque that's at the bottom of this statue. It is the universal torch of enlightenment. Now, these are disturbing little pieces of, of truth because most people flaunt the Statue of Liberty like it's some kind of statement that you're free in America. And so this symbol that the universalists are putting on all of their literature and their T-shirts and their, their commercials, I'm showing you a commercial that's on television. Now, I juiced it up a little bit like you guys know I do with videos. Because I never want to release a video out there th them thinking we support this. But that symbol of that torch is not new at all. The first church established in the United States of America was a Mason church. A Unitarian church. 
the first church where there was brick and mortar put was a Unitarian church. It's been around for a long time. The mission is clear on what they were after with this new world. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. John Murray is one of the leading respected universalists in the world. Past and present, and I predict, in the future for them. I've read much of his work. He is actually quite profound. He has integrated the love of God into the universal movement at such a refined way that it is very easy to get tripped up on what he says. He was an active, proclaimed universalist that does not include indwelt Christianity. It's the only group that is not accepted in the universalist group. Are you with me? Because indwelt Christians typically can't set in those services without being bothered. Because it eliminates the basic doctrines of no one comes unto my Father yet by me. And that's what Jesus is saying. So they can't really stay there very long. So that group is typically excluded right from the beginning. Here's what he says for our quote for today. You may possess only a small light, and their thing is light, not Jesus. Even though there's a scripture that says Jesus is the light. So when you talk to these people, they would say, well, don't you believe what Jesus said? That you are the light? This is not the light that Jesus is talking about. So you may possess only a small light, but uncover it. Let it shine. I can even remember a song that says, let it shine, let it shine. Let... This is how conniving this man is. He's carefully read through world religious beliefs and integrated them into his writings. They're very deceptive. John Murray. You may possess only a small light, but uncover it. Let it shine. Use it in order to bring more light and understanding to the hearts and minds of men and women. Give them not hell, but hope and courage. Okay, now we've, now we've erased hell from the formula. So the equals hell is gone. Equals hell is gone. There are no consequences for what these people believe then. Well, he's not done. He says, do not push them deeper into their theological despair, but preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. For he is in all things and all people. Well, that excludes salvation. That excludes Jesus' mandate saying, no one's going to come unto the Father yet by me gone. Indwelt Christianity is out the window. The only group they will not accept into their universal movement. I just find that quite interesting. They'll accept anybody, what they believe, what their religious things are, Satanism, Wicca, all that stuff is at the top of their list. 
but they will not embrace and accept indwelt Christianity. But they will Christians. Learn to respect his organics of life, his planet, his environment, and his people. Like they're all the same thing for some reason. This dirt is cursed. You leave this building alone for for six months and you will start to see deterioration in the corners and around the edges and things just begin to disintegrate because it's cursed. So when Jesus became the curse on our behalf, it was because of this. So what this activates, and listeners, please listen very carefully, what this activates is a reconstruction theology, which is where John's going with this. Reconstruction theology is restoring to an original condition. And their reconstruction theology is basically what is destroying the indwelt Christian worldview. Here's the video. Standing on the side of love is a community of people united in the common belief that love is the ultimate guiding force of our world and that we are all compelled to speak out against injustice. We are seekers and uniters, using our voices in solidarity with those who are marginalized. In some circles, we're known as the love people. We advocate for migrant justice, marriage equality, an end to anti-Muslim bigotry, and full inclusion for all people. We are connected through Standing on the Side of Love, an interfaith public advocacy campaign whose mission is to harness love's power to stop oppression. The campaign is sponsored by the Unitarian Universalist Association, a liberal faith denomination that welcomes all people. But our movement includes people of many faiths, and some whose only proclaimed faith is that of love. Campaign elevates compassionate voices to influence public attitudes and policy. We accomplish this by educating people on crucial issues so they can in turn become advocates themselves, encouraging people to communicate directly with decision makers and promoting interfaith partnerships. Standing on the Side of Love is a campaign of faith in action. Our signature yellow shirts, banners, and signs proclaim love loudly. By showing up in this coordinated fashion, we offer bold visibility, positive messaging, and the opportunity to put forth our inclusive vision into the world. Wherever you come from, however you found us, open your heart to the idea of finding safe harbor in our community. A community united in education, action, service, and a vision for a world transformed through the power of love. And if you are uh, curious about what is wrong with this emphasis on love, that's what our message is about today. If God is love, in order for us to truly love, we have to have God in us. In the representation, of course, of Jesus Christ. In Him crucified. So all of the issues that come with social, cultural welfare, which is what this group goes after. 
And if you can get someone's mind all busied with the cultural issues of the day, you have them. You can lead them and guide them through reaction or action or whatever it is you want to do with this group. If they're caught up in the issues, get them to start picketing and making their statements. And, and of course, the number one thing they go after is love. So if you confront them, their response typically is, and you call yourself Christians and you don't love. Is there not a Bible verse that says, if you don't love your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you? You guys are the ones that need to be able to explain that. Because it is going to be introduced to our society like never before. The whole decision that was made last week is so huge. You need to understand that these people hate America. They're not, they're not patriots. They are into a full-on global universal society. And standing behind a single flag is usually one of their big deals. Whether you like it or not, those of you who are listening and live in America, you are to support that flag. And you're to wave that flag because you are a citizen of that flag. All of us know that the true flags that are flaunted is their nationality. So you're going to find in culture a lot of things about flags over the next couple of years. And I support the people who are supposed to support their flag. Those are honest people. This love banner is in the form of a flag. Their universal thought is for one universal religion or faith. And if you don't understand the details, when you go to Washington, D.C., and you see a half a million of these people in the mall making a statement, and you see all that love, 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 you tend to go, well, what's wrong with that group? They seem to be loving, peace-loving, and accepting everyone. So they start joining this movement by the droves. And churches are signing on to this movement all over America. Thank you, John Murray, for messing us up. And he's just one of many. So we need to understand what this universal thing is all about. So our word today is just like last week. It is universalism. But the question that I want to ask you, even our online listeners, please answer me on this at 602-292-2982. Text me your answer on this. Can God love someone? And those of you who are totally against what it is that we're teaching and preaching here, I want you to listen very carefully to this question. Can God love someone in hell. Because that's their issue. Hell and love. 
Can a parent love a prodigal son? Can a parent love a prodigal son who never returns and receives a born-again experience? Yes. Can a parent love a prodigal son who got killed in a car accident and they pretty much know that that son went to hell? I can assure you God loves everyone in hell. But you see, the, the deal is, is they, they did not respond to the love of God and the conditions set forth in the love of God. There are conditions to the love of God. And that's what John brings out. And that's why 1 John is classically labeled the harshest writings in the New Testament. Sounds very conditional. So this is no conditions applied, thus no hell is applied. You can believe what you want to believe, you can say what you want to say, you can be a part of any cultural group, any movement, any church, anything you want. You can be who you say you want to be. Did you catch their little thing about what was inside the purple heart? You are love. You are love. To me, that was the pivotal point, is when they say, you are love. It's not God is love, because once they say, you are love, then the whole emphasis becomes, you determine what love is, just like God determines what love is. Universalists and the God of love, from their perspective, commencing with the revealed truth that God is love, which of course is out of 1 John. Uh, 4, 8 through 16, and that's what we read this morning. Some assume that the absolute compassion of God requires that he accept and receive all men into his eternal presence. All men into his eternal presence. Nobody gets sent away for penalty of sin. Here's what they say. If God loved men enough to create them, he will love them enough to preserve them. Really? How's that working with your prodigal child? You going to call yourself a hater of your child? Are you going to call yourself a parent who, who didn't experience love for that child? How come your love as a parent is not saving this prodigal child in their, in their stupid theology of globalistic universalism? How, how come it's not working? Is there something wrong with your love? God gets accused of things that have nothing to do with him. That prodigal son is on the run and because that prodigal son is not receiving the love from his father. The love of his father is not preserving him because he stepped outside the boundary lines of the love of the father. Thus has to receive the consequences of that step. Not once did the prodigal father, the father of the prodigal son, chase down this son. He waited. They are very confused. In fact, some of you are very confused of what love is. Love does not chase anyone down. Love waits. Love gives up. Remember the story of King Solomon and you had these two prostitutes and one prostitute laid over and suffocated her baby? And then the next morning, the mother who didn't roll over on her baby discovered that her baby was missing. 
and the mother who actually rolled over on her baby and killed her baby stole the other baby because of her grief. So this, they were arguing and fussing, obviously, and this got brought before the king, King Solomon. It sounded real mushy. It sounded real, who's really telling the truth, whatever. Think of the universalism now. It's just so muddy and mucky, you're really not quite sure who's telling the truth. John's saying, if you say you have the love of God in you, and you do not love your brother then you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. See, the whole thing that's being addressed there is indwelt. You say you're indwelt, but you hate your brother. You're a liar. And the life of Christ, the love of God, is not in you. So what does Solomon do? This muddy situation. So he summoned to hold the baby, And then he asked his guard to uh, get his sword. And he held that sword up and he says, I will divide this baby in half and each of you will get half. And what happened? True mother said, no, give it to the other one. True love gives up. It doesn't claim its rights. The movement of these people are claiming their rights, if you didn't pick that up. Everything is about the rights of religious belief. It's not giving up. And of course, what happened? What was the end of the story? Which Solomon knew from the beginning. Wise man. Looked at the mother who gave the baby up and said it's her baby and says, truly you are the mother of this child. Condemnation was given to the prostitute who who suffocated her baby and stole this other baby. See, the end result is consequences. The end result is punishment. And that's what this group doesn't want to talk about. People who do not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are indwelt by Him are going to receive the worst kind of punishment that there is. While God loves them in hell. So for them to have an issue with love and a true loving God would never send any of his creation to hell. They don't get it. They don't even understand what love is. But see, when they raise children and they have a child that wants to tamper with being a transvestite, it's all acceptable. There's no correction. And it's irresponsibility, it's fear, it's bondage, and it is a parent who is a flat-out liar. They are afraid to confront that sin that they know deep down inside is not right. They're afraid to confront it. So they just release them to kill themselves. Not knowing that they are going to pay the cost of that. That's 602-292-2982. Here's some of their questions. Number one, is God a respecter of persons? The answer is no. He's not going to respect you and your opinions. Your opinions are worthless to him. Your interpretations of the scriptures are worthless to him. 
The value you put in getting multiple degrees to be able to safely and courageously translate or interpret the word of God is fruitless to him. He's not interested in your opinion. So this whole movement is about opinions, opinions, opinions. Whatever your opinions are about your faith or about Jesus or about Satan or about whatever your opinion is, we accept it. And that's exactly what they say. This lady's church that I showed you her a piece of her sermon in, the pentagram was right above her to the right. The pentagram. The Satanist pentagram. So was the, the Muslim symbol and so forth and so on. The video I showed you today had the pentagram on it. Had the Wicca symbol on it. Had the Muslim symbol on it. And on and on. And if that's not alarming to indwelt Christians, you guys are acting like fools. You might not be a fool if you're an indwelt believer, because you can't be a fool if you're an indwelt believer, but we certainly could act like one. Supporting people to go to hell. Well, I mean, what foolishness can, can be beyond that? Where we're just covertly having relationship with people to send them to hell. I just don't see much value in that. Number two, does God divide people up into good guys, bad guys? No, we're all bad guys. Universalists, listen to me very carefully. We're all bad guys. We're all born going to hell. We cannot go past go or collect our 200 bucks until we receive Jesus Christ into our mortal being through the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Then we're not a good guy. We're a sinner saved by grace. And our flesh is just as wicked as the day that we were born. Probably worse. So there's no good guy, bad guy in God's mind. We're all bad guys. We're all going to go to hell. Unless we receive the everlasting love of Jesus Christ through a born again experience. Then we're still not a good guy. Eternally, we become the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Identity-wise, we literally become everything that Jesus is identity-wise. But in and of our mortal flesh, there's no good thing that, that dwells within me. Who said that? The greatest communicator of the exchange life in history, Paul. There's nothing good in our flesh. There's no good guy, bad guy. There's no keeping the law where you can literally become a better person. I don't know too many Christians that can explain what I just said. I don't know too many Christians that can explain what it means for Christ to become the curse. I don't know too many Christians that can explain that the ground is cursed and why God left the ground is cursed. Whatever is cursed has to be burned. Are you with me, guys? Whatever is cursed has to be burned. I'm going to say it one more time. Whatever is cursed has to be burned. People who are cursed and who resist receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are going to burn in the pit of hell forever. This earth is going to be burned. If you don't believe me, you might want to read the book of Revelation. Whatever is cursed has to be burned. 
602-292-2982. This is a complicated thing for people to be able to understand unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. But I know that I know in Jesus' name that whatever is cursed must be burned. When Jesus Christ, stay with me on this, when Jesus Christ became the curse, as the verse I showed you earlier, when Jesus Christ became cursed and he died, he descended to the lower parts for three days. Someone please tell me what those lower parts are. Hell. And he burned. He paid the price for becoming that curse. But you're not going to hold God down. He was redeemed. He was made alive. He resurrected from that ash pit. The same illustration and story of Job and having to lay in the ashes. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ being revealed to us. Job's flesh had to be burned from dust to, this is Job 42, from dust to ashes. You have to be burned. See, they don't understand that. They don't get that. That cursed things must be burned, not reconstructed. Not revitalized. They have to be burned. People who fight the burning process are a part of the universalist movement. That's 602-292-2982. Three, is God a self-righteous, unforgiving, cold-hearted God? No, you're a self-righteous, cold-hearted human being. Unless you know the love of Jesus Christ in your mortal being, then you're not that. But if you don't have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, you're the cold-hearted one. If I don't support your opinions, you curse me. I've got endless stories on that one. Really? I'm sharing with you God's opinion, God's scriptures, God's holy word. And God's the one that will take care of the judgment at a later date. Number four, how could a good and loving God condemn mankind and impose death on his created beings and send people to hell? Because cursed things have to be burned. Please, guys, don't ever forget that. It's a simple doctrine. Cursed things must be be burned. What do our farmers do around this this wonderful state every year? They burn what is cursed. So new life will come forward. I call that duh. It's a very simple biblical principle. But implied within their questions is a more serious misunderstanding or perversion of true indwelt Christian theology. Why are we the ones left out? Why are we the ones always rejected? Because we're singularist. You understand that? Out of all the religious sects in the, and in the entire world, the indwelt Christians, if they truly held to what Christ says you're supposed to believe, 
you'll be a singular person sent on a mission in a global society. You don't have the privilege to see how the world loves to treat indwelt Christians, but you will. Anyone who does not support this universalist thought will be tortured, burned. You with me? They're going to burn you. That's persecution. It's one of the definitions in the Greek. They're going to burn you. What did they do with these indwelt Christians back in early America that they said was witches? They burned them. Because they were so single-minded that if you do not have the life of Christ, you're going to hell. And they're like, really? Let's burn you for condemning all of us. Oh, you see traces of it in church history. But I'm here to tell you, you are going to see it like never before after last week's decision. You're going to burn. And you have to be willing to burn at the stake of Jesus Christ. Polycarp, remember? The disciple, the leading disciple of John the Beloved? They burned him over and over and over and the boy wouldn't burn. So they stabbed him to death. And then burned him. This principle is all the way through history, whether you want to accept it or not. They're the ones that are burning us, condemning us, isolating us. Because we refuse to jump onto this universal God. I kind of wonder who he is. Who is this universal God? Because it's not Jesus Christ. Either that or Jesus is a liar. No, he's not a liar. He is the truth. And if he says, no one comes unto my dad, but by me, I'm the doorway. And if we don't believe that as absolute truth, single-minded truth, because there's only one mind in you that we're supposed to listen to, and that's the mind of Christ. Sovereign grace universalism, I'm going to give you a quick snapshot. Those of you who did not download the PDF, I would really do that, because there's a lot of written content on these slides. Now I'm going to go over them very quickly. But I'm going to give you the basic labeled categories of universalism that affects Christianity. Okay? Sovereign grace universalism. Universalists say a compassionate and giving God must of necessity act in grace towards his creation. I can take you at a church down the street that this statement has been made. Grace covers everything. No, it doesn't. Because someone is lying to us if 90% of all of creation goes to hell. And burning. Something's not right here. Someone's lying to us. we got to ask the question, who is lying to us? What is real grace? What's grace for? How come it doesn't apply to the entire universe, past, present, and future? Could it apply to every human? Was it meant for every human? That's some of the questions we're going to answer today. 
Their understanding of grace is that of sentimental indulgence. So what I do when I'm ministering is I go after their indulgence. Is it homosexuality? Is it plurality of marriages? Is it multiple spouses? What is it? What sin are they defending? Because, see, if you catch someone in sin and you tell them, you know, you're sinning, their response should be, you're right. I messed up in this area. That's honesty. So it's not the removal of sin. It's how they handle the confrontation of sin. So if they shift into gracialism, grace is for everyone, going to hell as you Christians say or not. Really? Probably not. It's usually for their sentimental indulgences, whereby God accepts man's behavior, whatever character is being demonstrated. A transvestite running out into the parade, making a statement. I am who I believe I am. And if you don't accept me, you're sinning. And you'll burn. Some of the most hateful people I have ever met, being in politics for the years that I have, and being a Christian leader, some of the most hateful people I know are peace-loving people. People touting love at all costs. They're hateful of one particular group. You. Mark my words because they're God's words. There's coming a day when the indwelt Christians are going to be persecuted as he was. Despite their reference to sovereign grace universalism, their premise seemed to be another form of the cheap grace that seems to be tossed around like it is some kind of covering for everything. It's love that covers a multitude of sins. But since God is love, in order to receive that love, you have to receive God. In order to receive God, you have to receive him through Jesus Christ. There's a few conditions to this formula, if you don't erase them. This form of universalism mis misunderstands God's love as sentimental giving and misunderstands God's grace as foolish indulgence. Calvinistic universalism, as strangely ironic as it may seem, the determined exclusivism of five-point Calvinism has been one of the strongest driving forces of exclusive universalism. Most people would not put the Calvinists, the Reformed Church of America, in the category of universalist. They just wouldn't. In fact, most would think, well, that'd be the group that'd really get condemned because of their theology on election. I'm going to show you what they did with it. I've spent a lot of research time in this particular label of universalism. They change one single letter, and it works. Many people react to the election doctrines of Calvinists' view of the atonement of Christ, not understanding God's ability, stay with me, not understanding God's ability to look into the future and see who responds to the unlimited atonement of Jesus Christ. Due to this, universalists have kicked back and reformed the deterministic view of God, which is a system in which no randomness is involved. These people 
are reacting to the election process and what John Calvin and other leaders through the years have said about election and predestination. So there's just one simple truth. If somehow Satan could get this evaporated out of their doctrines, which he did very successfully, and predestination in election became the predominant force in this theology. Well, they're not including one significant piece is that God knows the past and the present and future all at one moment. And he knows exactly who's going to reject the perfect solution of delivering them from burning. So it appears that it is this elective process of God being very selective in the love of God is only for the elite of the human race. No, he sees who is going to reject it. Your grandchildren or great-grandchildren that have not been born yet, he can tell you right now today which one of them are going to say, I'm not believing this. And they'll burn in the pit of hell. Just because you love your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to come does not mean they're going to make it into heaven. It's not love that makes you or gets you into heaven. It's atonement. That's what's going to get you in. So that has to be carefully looked at. So they have this thing called TULIP. Total depravity. Unconditional election. Limited atonement. And irresistible grace. And perseverance. So here's what they do. The L of limited atonement in the Calvinistic tulip crossword is modified into limitless. You now have universalism. You see, whatever the doctrine is, whatever the leaders are of those, that, those doctrines, it's just one simple twist. You see, when Satan was standing before Eve, he didn't reveal to her a theological volume of creation. One simple twist, just one, turned the entire garden into universalism. What was that one twist? You can be like God. The key behind all universalist thinking is you are your own God. You, your opinion matters. You are love. You are your own answer. So the deception hasn't really changed through the years. The ultimate thing is personal responsibility is ignored. And this is one of the primary drawing cards of universalism and also why it is attractive to the gracilistic community. And these are truly self-proclaimed Christians or indwelt Christians who use grace like it's some kind of healing ointment. It's not what grace was for. Covenant universalism. When God created the human race, he established an eternal covenant with mankind, which is true. An agreement wherein all humans, human uh, descendants, have an inherited participation in God's covenant blessings, which is true. The universalist abnormal form of covenant theology reveals an essential weakness of overemphasizing the permanence of covenant benefits extended to all without any conditions. 
including salvation through one single man, Jesus Christ. And that's where they get all bunched up. So here's the deal. The Old Testament, which is what they, if you dialogue with a covenant universalist, they're going to take you to the Old Testament. And they're going to use this whole story about how in the world could all these saints of the Old Testament make it into paradise first and later heaven after Jesus died. How could this possibly be if Jesus didn't exist? Really? Jesus existed in the Old Testament. Jesus existed in the law because he was the law. So the transitional between the old and the new becomes a critical point of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But see, they use the Old Testament as a statement of, well, they didn't go through Jesus, the only way, the truth, and the life. They didn't go through him. There was no Jesus, and plus there was no cross. So what you're telling me is irrelevant. The most troubled people in, in humanity... 602-292-2982, the most troubled people in humanity are those who live by the law. That's why it, it kills, it destroys, it puts down, it separates, it does all these negative things, is because there are consequences to people who will not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The law will punish you, burn you. And I have so many scriptures to talk to you about burning if you want to dialogue with me that are relevant today. You will burn under the curse that the law justly removes you from the righteous. They hate that. And if you do not know how to explain and use the Old Testament in in leading someone to Christ... You're in trouble. If you're one of those believers walking around carrying a New Testament Bible and you're not carrying the Old Testament because you just don't understand how to answer these questions and this is a primary way that they use to trap you, so you burn, I say you probably better review that. The Old Testament is very needed or everything's going to go emergent on us universal salvation is real critical doctrine for them so any one of us that actually truly studies true salvation you need to be able to communicate exactly what that is the old testament is representative of our flesh that's going to send us to hell To burn. That's what the Old Testament is for. It is a representation of our flesh. The cross is not a representation. It is the doorway of freedom. When we are brought through the power of the cross, the finished work of Christ flushes out that curse. How? He became the curse. He didn't ignore it, reject it, He became the curse. And he did exactly what I'm explaining to you. It had to burn. It had to be taken to the pit of hell, or Hades at the time, and he had to drop it. 
And from what we understand, that took about three days. A burning. The curse. And we make light of that? And then somehow when he came out of that resurrection tomb and he started proclaiming anyone who does not believe this, anyone who does not come through me is not going to get to my father. And then guidelines were laid out and you say, well, more law. Oh, I hope so. He is the law. He's the fulfilled law. He's the pure law. He's the clean law. He is the law. The laws in Hebrew word picture says characteristics of God. A parent's guidelines or rules in a household is revealing their character. A parent who does not have rules for their children are suppressing the true character of Christ and saying, well, this is what I believe. Do whatever you want. Be gay, be transvestite, be a you know, killer, be a whatever. I'll love you no matter what. Love them into hell is what I say. Great philosophy. That's not how Jesus does it. Never has been his way. So salvation is a critical piece for them. Karl Barth, those of you who are theological buffets, you know that this guy is a significant theologian in church history. Many of our church traditions as well as beliefs, comes from this man's thinking. Small problem with Carl's thinking. Carl emphasized a unique incarnation in regard to sin in society that gave this loophole to the local Unitarian people. Unitarians existed long before Carl. They jumped on his writings and took a free ride into the 21st century because... Here's what basically he was covertly presenting. Barth's thesis explained that when God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, deity incorporated humanity into himself to the extent that we can now speak of the humanity of God, which was the title of one of Barth's books. If Christ is taking on our humanity causes humanity to be included into God, which means the conclusion of that is we are God. We get to decide the theology. It's over. The reason why you have all these debates and conferences and workshops and whatever about theology, they're all debating what God said. And whoever can prove their point, most practically speaking, wins. It has done nothing for our church. Instead of just believing if God said it, I'm going to believe it. If I don't understand it, what, so what? I don't need to understand God to believe in him and obey him. True? You don't. The answer to the demise is simple. When the word of God became flesh, which is John 1.14, and the Son of God was found in the appearance as a man, Philippians 2.8, to the universalist, essentially implies that the deity became humanity and incorporated humanity into deity. That's how they'll explain it to you. And I don't get this privilege very often, but if I see here a Indoalk Christian put in this position, I love to just kick back and see what they're going to do with it. This homework assignment 
is going to help me understand exactly that. I don't think there's very few of us that can handle what they're about to do here. You see, they know our theology better than we do. And they have their key points that they hang on to. It just so happens these key points that they hang on to are unbelievably deceptive. And most into all Christianity, they can't fight their way out of this paper bag. And they just kind of kick back and go, well, let's agree to disagree. That is such a demonic phrase, it's ridiculous. I will never agree to disagree with someone who's buying into doctrines that's going to love people to hell. I'm not going to do it. Now, I may agree to step back and let it go, but I'm not going to do this agreeing to your universalistic thought. of That's ridiculous. But that's what they want from you. Do you understand that? They want you to feel trapped and not know what to do with what they're posing you with. That you're in the deity now. Because you're saying Christ is in you. And you are in Christ. Does that not put you in the deity? Then I say, well, are you saying in the Trinity? Universalists don't believe in Trinity. You see, knowing your comeback is what's going to put them in place. So you need to come back with, are you saying that it puts me in the Trinity? Well, we don't believe in the Trinity. Oh, you don't believe in the Trinity because you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God? Deity? Explain this to me here, Mr. Universalist. See, I have to know their cheap flaws, their cheap doctrines. Or they're going to roll right over me. That whole Calvinist universalism thing has tripped people up for many years. This is very critical. It's actually a reverse exchange life. They're after the exact same thing we're after, but a reverse. And then when you say this, this is the answer to the Trinity. They have a huge thing about Trinity. So if they push me to answer their question, because they won't answer mine, I say, yeah, it does. Well, see, you agree with me then. Kind of. I'm the bride of Christ. He's the deity. He's in the Trinity. He's God. I'm not. But I'm married to him. And I'm to submit to him as the son of God. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Because they have so many passages they can use on you to prove to you, you say you're in the deity. Being a bride of a man does not make you that man. It puts you in a position of supporting what that man believes. That's our role with Christ. Oneness universalism. I don't need to spend much time on this because this is their ultimate goal. But in the West here, primarily the United States, we're becoming more and more fascinated by Eastern theology and there's certain dynamics of Eastern theology that uh, America has just caught on to the last 50 years. They're naturalist. They eat certain kinds of things. They don't eat certain kinds of things. They're about Mother Earth. They're about the respect of the Earth. All those Eastern demonic orient theological items have become fascinating items for the church. 
particularly our whole Western society. So we are way behind in times, but we're just starting to catch up a little bit about this whole oneness theology, universalism. The philosophical and religious concept of this oneness sort of monistic uh, universalism is often Christianized, we bring it into the church, by stealing sound doctrinal vocabulary and passages, refining it through the morbid self-interest and beliefs, and then forcing it onto a world that is begging not to be judged, but loved unconditionally. Behind Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslims, and the list goes on and on, there's true hatred for the singularist. Hatred. They have their burning ways too if you do not support this oneness universal idea of respect all life in life. It's a huge part of their theological foundation. So all theological interpretations are defined through the inward God of self and then reconstructed as God said this to me. How can you, how can you address a person who responds to you when you're correcting them with, well, God said this to me? What are you going to do with that? God's wrong? And then if you use the doctrines within the Word of God, they're going to use doctrines back out of the Word of God to say, God said this to me. As I had a gentleman, world leader, say to me this past week, God told me this in a dream. So I asked him to spell it out for me, and he did. And it was the Word of God. I said, I'm with you. So it's not all error, but does it match the word of God, the commandments, the mandates of God? This is why you can't debate or argue their points. They're protected by demonic pantheism or self-interpretation, a perfect satanic tool for the final church, Laodicea, which Jesus said very clearly to all of us, he's going to do something with this church. He's going to spit them out of his mouth. He will not ingest them. This is the lukewarm church, the Eastern theological religious groups. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it's in the word and it's also in reality in our news. Demonic doctrines move from the east to the west. The great army that Revelation talks about is moving from the east, coming in on Israel. You see, all of those demonic doctrines were free to live under this oneness universalism. This is not a result of the 70s. This has been around since Satan. And it moves its way across. So now America is becoming like Europe and becoming like the Asian people, and we're into vegetables, and we're into staying slim, and we're into all this stuff that literally has mastered their lives through demons for hundreds and thousands of years. And we're like all excited saying, God said, God told me, God, really? Then God's a liar. Because God said this about those who eat vegetables alone. For you are of demonic doctrines. Why? 
because of the Eastern philosophy moving its way over into supposedly a culture, a land, a people that were getting a balance finally. And now it's washing that balance out. My prediction is, and it's not worth anything, but I believe that America is going to become the leading country in the entire world for universalism. We're going to make the Asian people look like kindergartners. We will be Laodicea. Just ask most preachers, they sense the same thing. If God is all and in all, then this all-inclusive oneness and unity of the created order implies that all men are universally united with God and are purified, they are redeemed, they are sanctified through their own self-effort. Universalists say that God, the divine spirit, is alleged to be in every man. Well, why do you need the indwelling life of Jesus then? You don't. Organic universalism. This label only popped up in the 1940s in America. Organic universalism is the Eastern thought. This is where it comes from. Organic universalism is nothing short of pantheism, which is the belief that the universe or nature as the totality of everything is identical to divinity. So when you look at a healthy plant, you're looking at God. God is in life. Whatever is alive, God will produce life from what is alive. That's their theology. So everything that composes, all-encompassing, is literally inborn, born in God. So therefore, God is in all people. Pantheists thus do not believe in a distinct personal or interactive God such as Christ in the believer. That's the group they toss out. Universalism is classically lodged in humanitarian pantheism. But the truth being told, true universalists are respecters of life and any form of life that produces life. Plants, animals, climate, water, fish, bugs, humans, and spirits. Anyone who has studied the demonic knows that spirits attach themselves to life forms. Animals, bugs, plants, whatever the case may be. It's their avenue, their venue, their pathway of deceiving people. This is why the Unitarians include Satanism as one of their leading global religions of honor and why the Masonic Order has established denominations or churches that support sustainable life forms. They believe that all forms of spirits are to be blessed and honored by the human race. And for some reason, this excludes the Holy Spirit. They will put more of an emphasis on their, their pushing and motivational items onto the external. And they're not pre- preaching Jesus Christ and you're going to go to hell and burn if you don't receive him. So they're literally saving plants while they are sending people to hell. And if that doesn't mess with your mind, there's something wrong with your mind. I'm sorry, there's something wrong with your mind if you're not connecting that little simple piece. Organic universalists believe that our spirits 
in all things, particularly in items producing life. So these organic universalists believe that all of life starts and finishes with the soil of the earth. Okay, guys, we're back in the garden. And God laid out a law and said, guys, you can eat from the tree of life and don't eat from the, the tree of good and evil. Good guy, bad guy. No, it's all evil. Then he said, and then every tree in the garden. I mean, think of the selection. That's a condemning God. Why in the world did he toss this, this good and bad tree in there? That's a duh, folks. And all Satan had to do is just turn one little piece of doctrine. And the whole world went emergent. So emergent that he had to flood out. He had to wash out the sin from the earth. And there was only one family that survived. Adam was still alive when Noah was born. It's a horrific thing to watch. That your stupid sin destroyed the entire race of humanity. And then we say, oh, we don't believe in judgment of God. And the Really? You will. But that's where it started. Over plant life. Over flowers. Over trees. Over fruit trees. But there's a bad kind of fruit that he said, <coughs> do not eat this fruit. For it is cursed. And when she put that seed into her mouth, and God came along and he said, Adam, because you hearken to the voice of your wife, cursed is the ground in which you walk upon. That curse that was put on that tree is what God put into the earth. So what do reconstructionists believe? God's a liar. I'm going to reconstruct this. And that's the uh, offense that moves into this next thing I'm going to share with you. This is why greater percentage of universalists are sponsors of environmental veganism, which refers to the avoidance of animal products in or on human consumption. Since 30% of the Christian community has adopted organic universalism, the term theological reconstructionist, turning the earth to its original purity, has been assigned to them while fully knowing that God cursed the earth as a part of Adam's consequences. That is organic universalism, the fastest growing form of universalism in America today, which came from the Asian community. It's a religion for us today. Forget Christ. Identity matters statement. The church has long recognized that the teaching of universalism impinges upon the major doctrines of true and dwelt Christianity and has determined that universalistic teaching is contrary to the core foundation of Christian orthodoxy, the indwelt life of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're the ones left with rejection and being called heretics. Now, I know I'm going to address a little prophetic thing here. I know that I know but here's what my experience is. And some of the leaders that I talk to, what their experience is. Once a person buys into any of these universalist theological positions has adopted them all. One is the gateway to all. Because then when you come in with another one to talk to them about it, 
they go, well, that really makes sense. And then the next one, well, that really makes sense. Satan is a god of logic. Have we not been told this many times? He's a logical god. He's not illogical. He's orderly. He's a perfectionist. He's a freak on the law. He uses the law to condemn, condemn people. To get their hearts, to get them in bondage. So they will die. They'll kill themselves. Because he can't take their life. Only God can. This deception is huge. And I am praying and I am hoping that anyone who's tampering with universalism will please get to someone as soon as possible to work through some of this stinky thinking. Because you're going to burn if you do not have the inward dwelling life of Jesus Christ. You're going to burn. 90% of the entire creation is going to burn, human race-wise. You organic universalists, listen to me very carefully. 100% of the earth's creation is going to burn. 100%. Not one banana is going with you. Not one. Not one will produce life all on its own after this is over. Not one. There's no delivering true salvation through animals. Your dogs are not going to heaven. Your cats are not going to heaven. Your favorite rose plants that you've been working on for years is not going to heaven. They're going to burn. And so are you. If you do not have the life of Jesus Christ inside you, I would love to introduce you to the real Jesus. Because he doesn't want you to burn. And quit buying into these quiet, deceptive lies that everything's fine, everyone's fine, using picket signs to protect animals while you have an abortion on Monday. There's something wrong with you. You'll save a plant and kill your baby the next day. And I have statistics to prove that to you. Most people in the universal movement are baby killers. They proactively believe in women's choice to abort and kill babies. 602-292-2982. I would love to dialogue with you in regard to some of these provoking Ideas and thoughts that we have discussed today that I believe can be backed by Scripture. Next week, we're going to talk about the fallacies of universalism. If you thought that today was offensive, uh, today was the junior high version of what we're going to cover next week. Because I'm going to get into naming groups. Because if you're in the group, you need to step back and go, why am I in this group? And if you got put in the position of who you're going to defend, the gospel of Jesus Christ, are you going to be ashamed of the gospel? But you're not ashamed of promoting your, your universalistic poster that you're carrying? Something's wrong with your thinking. You should be willing to be tossed to the curb by your friends, your bosses, your wives, your husbands, and your children in making sure that they get the truth that will set them free. 
If you hate me for what you heard today, you're hating Jesus Christ. He said, what you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me. But I know I'm preaching the true gospel because it's right here. And it is very clear what he says, even though I don't understand it all. But I do believe it. I don't need to understand my daddy to obey him. I'm not God. So this God said business you use on me is worthless to me. You better be able to show me in here and back it by a life. Then it'll start to make sense. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.